Hey, welcome everyone to the Kingdom REI podcast. This is your host, Ellis Hammond, founder of the Kingdom REI Mastermind, and with us, a fantastic, incredible guest today, uh, a mentor of mine from afar. One of He's literally written one of my favorite books for faith-driven entrepreneurs called to create. He's been a speaker at our summit, is going to be speaking at our upcoming summit, and has just released his recent book, Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and wildly productive. I cannot think, Jordan, of like a better <laughs> subtitle for it's this. It's a heck of a subtitle. For this audience, <laughs> man, of, of ambitious, Christ-centered real estate entrepreneurs and investors. Welcome to the show, everyone. Jordan Rayner. Hey, Ellis. It's uh, good to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's, you know, frankly here, you're, you're releasing a new book. It's coming out on October 23rd. Um, so we want to talk about that and let people know that, um, hey, go like if, if you're if you're a faith driven entrepreneur and you haven't heard of Jordan Rayner yet, trust me, go buy all three of his stuff. Um, but if you've already read his stuff, then, you know, this book's going to be incredible. So um, I'm pumped about it. Uh, Jordan, before we get into the book, man, tell our folks, because what I like about you, what I like having you on here is you got a lot of people writing about faith and theology and entrepreneurship. You've done it. Yeah. <laughs> And so tell us a little bit about you and your background before we kind of yeah. get into this. Give us some context. Yeah, Ellis. So I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur, started and sold a couple of software businesses. Uh, today, I really view myself as a content entrepreneur. I spend 100% of my professional time and energy creating books, podcasts, and other content all around this core mission of helping Christians connect the gospel to their work, whatever their work is, but especially the work of entrepreneurs and culture makers, right? Uh, and this new book, Redeeming Your Time, is really just an extension of that mission, just one of many expressions of it, right? Helping us all connect the gospel specifically to our perennial struggles with time management, this topic I've been obsessed with for my career, and really just thinking deeply about how does the gospel of Jesus Christ um, influence the way we approach this sticky topic of time management why time management though like yeah. i mean how, was that something you struggle with as an early entrepreneur like how come you got passionate about this subject yeah i've always been obsessed with this subject right I, because i believe that good time management is part of our response to the gospel i mean that this, mm -hmm. this is what paul's saying in ephesians five sixteen, where this phrase redeeming oh. your time comes from. Paul expounds upon the gospel, Ephesians 1 through 4, reminds us of our status as adopted children of God in Ephesians 5, 1. And that says, hey, part of your response to that isn't to sit back in consanity. Your response to gospel is to create, to redeem your time, to buy up as much time as you have so that you could do good works for others that bring glory to the Father. So that's why I've been always uh, obsessed with this topic. Now, why did I write this book? Because listen, the time management category for books is the most cluttered category on the planet, right? But I wrote this because I've read almost 50 topics in this category. I've read all the perennial sellers and I love a lot of these books, but I have two enormous problems with them, right? You know, number one, most books in this category, almost all books in this category are centered on what I would call works-based productivity, right? The idea is, hey, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling swamped, you're feeling overwhelmed. 
follow time management guru system, <laughs> do steps one, two, and three, and then you will find peace. Yeah, as a Christ follower, I'm calling garbage on this. I already have peace with God, Romans 5.1. I have ultimate peace through Christ. Now, I do time management exercises X, Y, and Z, but I don't get them to get peace. I do them in response to the peace. I do them as a response of worship. And that's just a radically different foundation to build a book on. So that's my first problem with most time management books. The second one is <laughs> every time management book I've ever read has failed to account for how the author of time managed his time. When he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, Christian or not, I think it's pretty hard to argue with the statement that Jesus was the most productive person who has ever lived. And yet, I don't know of a single time management book that studies how he spent his time on earth. And your listeners might be sitting there being like, oh, come on, Jordan, the Gospels don't say anything about how Jesus managed his time. Yeah, they do. A lot, in fact. And I'm sure we're going to get into that into this interview. You know, they don't show Jesus walking around with a to-do list. But they do show him dealing with distractions at work and fighting for solitude and seeking to be busy without being hurried. And because he was infallible God, we can know how God would manage his time. He's given us a model to follow. And that's what the book is all about. Redeeming your time are these seven timeless principles from the life of Christ mapped to more than 30 practical practices to help us live out those principles in the 21st century. I love that, man. I love looking, I love books that like take the life of Jesus and say, what, like how, like, how do we emulate our savior Christ and not just like, oh, Christ died on the cross and forgive me my sins, but as one of the best leaders, the biggest movement, <laughs> the largest movement in the world, there's things we can take from him and learn from him, right? Ellis, we measure time based on the life of Christ. Yeah. Before and after his death. This, right. is this is crazy. And, but here's the deal, right? Like in the church, J John Mark Comer, we were just talking before we start recording uh, about, he's written a lot about this. We read in the church and we read the gospels exclusively for their theology and their ethics, but we forget they are also biographies of how Jesus walked. And when we, we, when we read biographies of other people, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, whoever. Sure, we're paying attention to what they said and what they did, but we're also paying attention to how they walked, to their daily habits and lifestyles. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John through that biographical lens, I believe you could see at least seven principles that can help us redeem our time in the model of our Redeemer. So, Jordan, and I want to get into those seven, but here's what I want to ask you. Whenever I'm have seasons where I'm intentionally reading the Gospels and reading about the life of Christ. It doesn't take me long to start saying or start thinking to myself, I love Christ, but man, the more that I read about him, the more uncomfortable he makes me. Hey, real estate investors, if you've been enjoying this show for a while or enjoying this content at all, then I'm sure you're going to want to know that we have a mastermind for kingdom-minded real estate investors uh, with folks from all over the country. If you're wondering what is a mastermind, this is a community that we began back in 2020 uh, to really serve faith-minded investors, those who were ambitious in the world of real estate and entrepreneurship, but also passionate about Christ and really wanted a place, an environment, a community 
uh, where we could really join force, join forces and lock arms with people who are like-minded to really flourish in both of those areas. We also have a ton of fun when we meet in places like Dallas, Orlando, San Diego throughout the year. And so I would love to be able to share with you more details on that. If you go to thekingdomrei.com, that's thekingdomrei.com. You can learn more about our mastermind, hear from our members, and then apply to be a part of this community and give us an opportunity to chat more and see if it's a good fit. Enjoy the show. Yeah. And I always say like, the my nickname for Jesus is like the uncomfortable man, you know, like he's the uncomfortable savior. And I'm curious, like, as you got into this, as you were reading, as you were studying, what, what about this and what about the life of Jesus made you uncomfortable as an entrepreneur? Man, this is a terrific question. I, I think it's the third of the seven principles in the book, this principle that I call descent from the kingdom of noise. You know, when you look at the gospels for the habits of Jesus, one thing that jumps off the page is he spent a phenomenal amount of time in lonely places. Uh, sometimes the gospels translate it to a solitary place. And uh, that just stands in stark contrast to the way that most of us live our lives Today, we are living in what C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters called the kingdom of noise, nonstop external noise of nonstop news, buzzing devices, etc., that more importantly create this internal noise that makes it impossible for us entrepreneurs to think and be strategic and be creative and, most importantly, listen to the voice of God, right? And so if we want to redeem our time for eternal rather than temporal purposes— We've got to find ways to model Jesus's ability to frequently, daily, I would argue, dissent from the kingdom of noise. And in that chapter alone, I offer readers nine practices to live this out in the 21st century because I think this principle is so critically important. We've got to get good at this if we want to redeem our time the way Jesus did. Is one of those principles not watching the news? Yeah. You want to talk? You want to go here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because me and my wife have this argument all the time. I stopped watching the news <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Don't get Apple notifications. And she gives me a hard time. She's like, how can you be informed about the world? I'm like, if it's important enough, it always makes it to me. So like, tell me your thoughts on this. You've discovered the secret. You have figured it out. Uh, this is my secret as well. So new, we know... There's lots of data, lots of studies that show that the news is making us more anxious. Um, the news is making us depressed. And here's the deal. The vast majority of it is totally irrelevant to our work and to our lives. And so, yeah, about six years ago, uh, I just stopped cold turkey. And keep in mind, I was heavily addicted to the news uh, prior to this. But about six years ago, I just stopped. I stopped reading all news websites. I stopped watching the news. I, I, I stopped listening to the news. I consume virtually zero of it today. But as you pointed out, I'm not totally ignorant. And the secret is that if you eliminate or significantly reduce your time spent consuming news and information, your friends will curate the news for you. I hear about every single thing that actually matters to my life. Uh, I'm a huge Tim Keller fan, right? When Tim Keller tweeted that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, that's news I would want to hear about. 
eight of my friends texted me that news within 10 minutes of it going live on Twitter. I hear about pandemics. I hear about hurricanes. I hear about race riots and media trends and rumors about every West Wing reunion because I'm a huge West Wing fan. And I hear about all these things without having to spend a single moment wading through the 99% of content on news websites and social media services that is anxiety-inducing and totally meaningless. How, how does this differ from Twitter? Uh, I spend no time on Twitter either. No time on Twitter. I, I, I've gone pretty extreme. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone pretty extreme. I spend five minutes a day, roughly, sometimes 10, on social media. It's Instagram. And I'll give you another. So we just talked to one of the practices. You know, let your friends curate the news for you. Here's another one. Um, I delete Instagram from my phone and reinstall it every single day. Because you have to really thing. want to get on it then. That's like the porpoise, oh, right? It's a oh, big barrier. Oh, it's the biggest pain. It's the biggest pain in the butt of the world. It, it's impossible to create more friction. I have to download it from the app store. I have to type in my absurdly long password to get in. But that's the point. Screen time limits aren't working. Uh, moving your social media apps to a folder off of the home screen on our phones. Yeah, for most of us, it's just not working. These tools are incredibly powerful, incredibly well-funded and designed as we all know, we're not dumb, we're entrepreneurs, designed to steal our attention. I'm not saying social media is evil. I find value in social media, man, but I have fought really hard. I fight really hard to attain independence from these services. And I think we've all got to do the same if we're going to model Jesus' ability to descend from the kingdom of noise so we could think, so we could be strategic, so we could be creative and listen to the voice of God. So I'm catching in this book's very practical for and very helpful Hyper. for a lot of people. Well, here's my question though, Jordan. Like, what's the like, but what's the real issue that we're struggling with in the 21st century as entrepreneurs, as leaders? I mean, your your title for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. Are you arguing that we're not purposeful, present, and wildly productive and we need more? Like, what what's the core issue here that and, and I don't want to just get practical. I want to get practical in a minute, but I actually want to just know as a follower of Christ myself, yeah. what's the core issue here that maybe I don't see that I need the gospel to really redeem yeah. in my life that you're writing about? Oh man, such a good question. Let's get, let's go theological <laughs> before we get practical. So chapter one of the book, the first principle, start with the word. Jesus prioritized time with the father above everything. We got to do the same. And more specifically, I, I, I really truly believe the root cause of all this is bad theology about time, productivity, and the work that, and, and the role that God has called us to play in his kingdom building project. Uh, so in chapter one, I outline these five biblical truths about time and productivity. And I think grasping these are the core of our problem. So I'll give them to you real quickly. Number one, our longing for timelessness is good and God-given, right? As entrepreneurs, we want to build things that are going to outlive us. And I know a lot of people in the church say that that is pride, right? The pride is the root of that. Yeah, I, I don't buy it because Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the human heart, right? We are working with time that we logically know is finite, but that our souls tell us shouldn't be finite, right? And that's because truth number two, 
Sin has ensured that we are all going to die with unfinished symphonies. And I think we got to come to grips with this. I think we got to remember that all of us are going to die with work unfinished. We are all going to die with things left on our to-do list. But the hope is, truth number three, God will finish that work if it's on his to-do list, right? Job says his purposes will not be thwarted, Job 42.2, right? God's redemptive purposes in this world do not require you or me to do any specific thing in order to bring about that redemptive plan. He invites us to co-labor with him, but at the end of the day, he's going to finish the results, and that allows us to rest, which brings me to truth number four. We should spend a lot of time here if you want, but the gospel is simultaneously our ultimate source of both rest and ambition, right? I think this is a thing that entrepreneurs are going to constantly be wrapping their heads around. What does that mean? How does the gospel enable me to rest and at the same time compel me to be wildly ambitious for the work that I believe God's called me to do? If you want to go deeper on that, ask me a follow-up question in a minute. But the fifth truth, fifth and final truth, we can know how God would manage his time. Right? So if we believe that, okay, the gospel is leading us to be ambitious for the Lord's work in the world, then the question is, how do we do that? How do we be maximally productive? And that's what the rest of the book is about. Listen, God showed us how he would manage his time. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, with the same 24-hour time constraint that you and I have. And if you look carefully enough at the gospels, you can see how he stewarded his time. And you can see these seven principles that apply to us even today, 20 centuries later, here in 2021. So those are those five truths. And I really genuinely believe that if you don't get that theology right, it's really hard to get the practice right. It's really hard to be purposeful, present, and productive towards eternal purposes. You can be purposeful, present, and productive without these truths in a temporal sense, but not in an eternal one. I wrote down what you just said. You, you just said this in passing, man. You know, what's not like when we die and there will be things on our to-do list, the question will be, well, God will bring it to completion if it's on his to-do list. And I, I that's really challenging to think, man. Like, am I doing the things while I'm alive that's on God's to-do list, right? And and I think um, that's such a good word. Guys, by the way, clearly this book is going to be a banger, man. Like, so I don't want to wait till the end of the episode to be like, hey, go buy his book. Go buy it. Jordan, where do they go find it? Like, where do they go to go get this thing? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. You can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, and um, if you get it before October 23rd, you're also going to enter to win a chance to go to the Holy Land. Mm. It's been a wild pre-order incentive we're giving away to people. Uh, you can find all the details on that at jordanrainer.com. jordanrainer.com. We'll put that in the link below so you can go do that. Your last book, you gave a trip out to Barcelona. I did. I tried to win which, that which, one, man. Which got canceled. Uh, we've rescheduled it three times, which just wow. goes to show you we try to serve our audience really well and went above and beyond the terms and conditions and are still wow. rescheduling this thing because wow. of COVID. Yeah. So much here, man, I want to get into. I think... There's 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 two things. I think you, you've always inspired me to I think you were one of the first guys to really give me permission as an entrepreneur to to create and think big, right? And so I understand and and I think we can both of us can I mean depending on who you are and who's listening, you can struggle with this idea of the gospel is the the core of both rest and ambition. Yeah. And I would say I struggle with both, but 
I don't think we talk enough. There's enough content out there on ambition. And so one of the things you argue in your book is that Christians should set big goals. Yeah. Um, explain why you think that's important, or you even say not big goals, epic goals, right? So yeah. why? What are the reasons you, you, you make this a big point in, in a book around time management, rest, you know, things like this? I'm going to come back to this in a second, but I want to back up and, and, and give our listeners even more permission to be ambitious towards these goals. Okay. And I want to do it by telling a story from an unlikely place. I've been thinking about this so much lately. I'm probably going to write my next book on this. Um, John chapter 20 account of the resurrection. It's this little tiny detail that I always used to just gloss over and ignore. It says that when Jesus appeared to Mary uh, after his resurrection, Mary mistook him for the gardener. It's like breeze past it. That's weird. Like whatever. But like, obviously it's in God's word. It's not there by accident. So what's going on here? And I was talking with N.T. Wright, uh, who Newsweek is called the world's leading New Testament scholar. And he's like, Jordan, John is 100% doing something intentional here. He's winking and nodding us back to the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? Go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. God could have finished creating the world without us, right? But he basically built a blank canvas, then created Adam and Eve and said, hey, fill this earth and subdue it. Go create like me, fill this thing up. Now, Adam and Eve sinned ushering in the need for a savior. Then comes the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And when he raises, when he rises from the dead, he could have chosen to be mistaken for a carpenter, right? His vocation before his preaching ministry. He could have chosen to appear as himself. He could have chosen to appear however he wanted, but he chose to be mistaken for the gardener because he's telling us it's time to garden again, right? At the resurrection, Jesus could have brought the kingdom of heaven in full to earth. He could have done that. It's what the disciples were, were expecting in Acts chapter one, when they say, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, no, you will be my witnesses. He could have brought the kingdom in full, but he didn't because just as Adam had his bride Eve to cultivate the first creation, Jesus, the last Adam has his bride, the church, to help him build his eternal kingdom. That's why we should be ambitious for our work, because we still have this massive gap between the way our world looks today and the eternal kingdom of God that's promised to us in Revelation 21 and 22. That's why we should be setting big epic goals, because there's still racism in this world. There's still pandemics that are killing millions of people. None of these things exist in the eternal kingdom of God. We still have work to do. There are millions of people who don't know Jesus as our savior. We still have gardening. We still have work to do. And Jesus, the gardener is inviting us to co-labor with him to that end. All that from a little verse, man. That's amazing. That makes me want to go read my Bible more, to be honest with you. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> N.T. Wright is the best. Yeah. Do you read N.T. Wright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have in college. I haven't read him in years, but yes. He's a genius. He's a, I love that he pointed this out to me. So epic goals. I mean, that's the basis. Yeah. 
is, is there, I mean, I, that's, that's huge. I mean, we're, we're, Jesus, the gardener is inviting us into this, but I don't know, man. I mean, most people, the reason we started this whole thing is because when we get into the church and we talk about epic goals that aren't really related to church growth and maybe around, this is a real estate show. So building a big portfolio, creating wealth, building communities, those things don't always seem to give us, we're not always comfortable saying these are my goals. Yeah. So as Christians, you're saying as Christians. All right. So great. Let's talk about this. Let's go deep here. Jesus said that we are called to do good works that bring glory to God. Paul says the same thing, Ephesians 2.10, and they're both using the same Greek word. It's a a Greek word called ergon, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus. Why? What is the purpose of our salvation, of being recreated in Christ Jesus? For good works that the Father prepared in advance for us to do. And when you dig into that Greek word ergon, we assume that good works means sharing the gospel with people we work with or giving money to our church. And sure, those qualify. But according to my concordance and every concordance I've ever checked on this Greek word ergon, the word connotes, quote, work, task, and employment, end quote, right? When we just do our work with excellence, when we do it in line with the Lord's commands, when we do it with genuine love, not primarily as a means of earning more wealth for ourselves, but as a means of loving our neighbor as ourselves, those are good works, right? And that's a far broader definition. So yeah, if, you're, if your purpose of building a huge real estate portfolio is so that you could serve more people, right? Uh, with love and with excellence, you, man, take big swings. The Lord is honored by that work. He's honored by you as Colossians 3.23 says, working heartily towards those goals because it's not for your glory. It's for the good of others and ultimately the glory of our father, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and oh, by the way, as Christians, I, 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 in the book, I talk about these five reasons why we should be saying the biggest goals on the planet. The first one is, listen, Ephesians 3.20 says that God has the power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Look at your goals. I just don't know that we really believe this yeah. to be true. And I'm talking to myself here, right? Yeah. I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not sure that my goals really reflect that I have the creator God dwelling in me who is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. And listen, if these things are on God's to-do list, they're on our to-do list, he can, doesn't mean he will, but he can give us the power to do those things. That's, that's strong, man. And I do think that that is a, when you understand that, it gives you permission to go big. But I do think we all have to ask a heart check and we need to be around a community of people that are constantly causing us to assess and reassess our values because we can start with good intentions. And the bigger we get and the more temptation to get more, our good intentions can go away, you know? And this is why being in the word is so important. Again, yeah. If we're going to redeem our time for eternal purposes, we got to know what the word says. Yeah. And what's on God's to-do list. His to-do list is serving the poor. Yeah. Right. Uh, revealing his character, revealing his glory. Right. Not hoarding wealth for ourselves. Mm. That's nowhere to be found 
uh, <laughs> to do a secure church. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm not saying wealth is bad. And, and, you know, Ecclesiastes tell us it is good to enjoy the work of our hands. Right. Uh, but that's not the primary thing that God's right. concerned with. Right. That's solid, man. All right. I'm going to make a strong left turn because I, I don't, I don't know how much time we have left here today, but I, I just would be so missed if I didn't ask you or have this conversation about this idea of eliminating hurry and John Mark yep. Comer's book. I'll be honest with you, man. I've never read the book. I'll tell you why. Because I just don't like the title. <laughs> Honestly, like, yeah. I mean, it's, and, and I think it's a little of, I'm scared of it and I don't like it. And so um, I've heard him speak. He's a great guy. He's a, if you don't know who John Mark Comer is, he wrote a book called The Elimination of Hurry. I think that's what it's called. The Anyways. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. And so the ruthless elimination of her exactly yes but and you write about this as well in your yeah. book and you say um a finer point that being busy and being hurried is different yeah. let's just talk about this concept of yeah. of hurry being a, a huge evil in in our day but i'm also the, the rub i have with this jordan just so we're clear is that as an entrepreneur we're out to solve problems i look at paul he didn't he was in a hurry like he was busy he he was urgent i strenuously problems. contend with all the energy i have paul says. yes yeah so all right so let's get i in. get where you're i get where you're coming from because i have this problem too i'm afraid that we are swinging the pendulum here too far in the other direction in the in the modern church love john markham's book i think it's phenomenal uh ruthless elimination for but you also had uh, my friend Jeff Bethke come out with a book at the same time, To Hell with the Hustle. Uh, yeah, listen, guys, like, God worked hard. <laughs> he worked six days and rested one. Jesus worked hard. Working, you know, the disciples come to him after a 12-hour day, expecting Jesus to hang it up. And Jesus said, no, the time has not come for me to stop working. One time, Jesus' family uh, was worried about him said he was so busy they thought he was quote out of his mind he was out of his mind busy so one thing that i i i i think the title of john mark's book um doesn't get wrong but just kind of misses the nuance of is this distinction between busy and hurry because the distinction to me is everything you and i are called to be busy we are called to work heartily as unto the Lord, Colossians 3.23. And again, go look at Paul's letters. <laughs> the amount of times Paul talks about how hard he worked is laughable. It's laughable. He talks about it in every one of his letters he's talking about how hard he worked. Busyness is good. The difference, though, between busy and hurry is everything. Because busyness, John Ortberg wrote, wrote really eloquently about this. John said, being busy is an outward condition right it's a condition of the body but hurry is this inner condition this condition of the soul and i think that's right so to make this really practical i think busyness is having a lot of meetings on my calendar hurry is when i schedule those meetings back to back forcing me to sprint from one meeting to the next and not being able to make eye contact with the other human beings around me and without me having enough time to think in between those meetings I think busyness is having a lot of errands to run. Hurry is when I get pissed off about choosing lane three instead of lane four at the grocery store because I can't afford the 30 seconds that I just lost. It's creating this anger in my soul. 
That's the difference. Jesus was crazy busy, but he was never busy in a way that made him frantic Mm. or angry or anxious. And I think that's the fine line between busy and hurry. And in the book, I argue that to do this well, we have to be really good at counting the cost of our time. You know, all of my friends have financial budgets, budgets to tell their money where to go before they get new money in the bank account. I don't think a single one of my friends has a budget for their time. That's insane. (laughs) All of us, by God's grace, can earn more money. None of us can earn more time. How much more intentional should we be about building a time budget? And that's kind of where this whole book is leading. You say, all right, you want to be purposeful, present, productive like Jesus without being hurried? We got to get good about counting the cost, budgeting our time before the Lord graciously supplies us mm. with a fresh set of minutes every single morning. And it's kind of where, where the whole book is leading to in chapter seven, where we leave things off. I'm going to leave that as a... As a um something to leave them guessing and wanting more. So we're not going to jump into that. Uh, guys, go get the book. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to go make sure we order plenty of copies of this. Uh, Jordan, here's how I want to end, man. You and your, what I've always loved about you is you're a great storyteller. You tell in all of your books, just you make it practical because, you know, your last book in um, Master of One, you know, you talked about um, the 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 church in Barcelona yeah. and Antonio Gaudi and one of my favorite places of all time to go visit. It literally leads me to worship. Just thinking about it now that I've been there multiple times. Love that analogy. Love that story. What's a good story of this? A good example of this, you know, some, what, what, who encapsulates what story encapsulates uh, the essence of this book uh, that you write about? Give you an unexpected answer. Cause there are great stories from people, you know, William Wilberforce who abolished the slave trade. Love that Dr. Guy. King, uh, my friend Tamika Ketchings, the greatest women's basketball player of all time. Lots of great stories like that. But I'm actually going to tell uh, a story from somebody you don't know. My, my daughters, Ellison, Kate, and Emery. They are seven, five, and two. And I think this story encapsulates the heart of the book. A- every single night before I put my kids to bed, I look them in the eye and I say, girls, you know, he loves you no matter how many bad things you do. Like, yeah. I was like, you know, I love you no matter how many good things you do. And they're like, yeah, I do like that. And they say, Jesus, or my five-year-old theological stickler says, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Uh, but I think especially ambitious entrepreneurs need to learn to preach those words to ourselves with regards to our work and productivity. The father loves and accepts us regardless of how productive we are or how unproductive we are. And ironically, it is that deep soul level rest that leads us to want to be wildly productive, right? Because working for somebody's favor, for somebody's approval is exhausting, right? But working in response to unconditional favor, to unconditional love that's intoxicating, mm. right? Uh, and, and that's really the heart of this book. When we grasp the gospel at a deeper level and know that God loves us regardless of what we accomplish in our to-do list today, it's that piece that leads us to want to be wildly productive on his behalf. 
Amazing, man. Amazing. I'm so grateful uh, for you, Ro, for your your passion to help entrepreneurs, especially faith-driven entrepreneurs uh, in, in, in all of these. I mean, seriously, guys, if you don't have the trilogy of books that Jordan has gotten, they've in every season of life have helped me. And so I'm um, really, really thankful for you, man. Excited. We're going to get more of your time, actually. Our summit coming up on October the 5th, 6th, and 7th. Jordan is going to be there with us. Guys, go to thekingdomaria.com forward slash summit to grab a ticket to that and uh, and then head to Amazon, wherever. How many books do you think we got to get to win the trip to Israel? <laughs> I love that you guys this going. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, you can get a max of three entries in the sweepstakes. So if you go buy three books, I don't know, two paper, two hardback, one audio, one kid, whatever. It doesn't matter what the combo is. Go to jordanrainer.com after you do that. Enter out the form, select that you bought three books and you get three chances to win. And I could tell you from experience doing three sweepstakes like this, if you buy three books, you have a better chance than 98% of people of winning this trip. Uh, so the odds are ever in your favor. Uh, so I can play this game. Like I could get three. My wife could get three. Exactly. Can I, I can get three in my little girl's name who's five months 100%. old. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? Why not? I got to check with my lawyers, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's coaching. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. Well, man, seriously, it's really fun to hang out. Guys, jordanrainer.com. Check the links in our bio, and uh, we will see you at our upcoming summit. Thanks so much again, man, for being here. Thanks for having me, Alice. Good to see you. All right. Hey, real estate investors. I hope this show has given you permission to go out into the world and crush it in the name of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our community and locking arms and joining forces with other like-minded investors like yourself, go to thekingdomrei.com to learn more about our mastermind and send an application. We'll see you next week.